Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther on how Sarah, Abraham's wife, was similar in spirit to Esther. Download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org and iTunes. That's another way of saying that was an opportunity for Sarah to be paralyzed with fear at who she was married to. Or how about the time when there was a choice between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen over which land they should have? That's in Genesis 13, 6 through 11, where they came to a point where the land where uh, Lot and Abraham had settled in on wasn't big enough for all of their herds, and there was a great dispute, and Abraham says that wonderful phrase. He said, we be brethren. Let's not have any strife between us because we are brethren. And then Abraham says, the whole land's before you choose. And so Lot says, well, since I'm going to choose, okay. And he looks, he said, this is a lot better watered than this area, the plain of Jordan. And so, so you take that scrub brush there, I'll take this nice stuff down here. And then he comes back into Sarah and he explains to her what's happened. And she says, what? You did what? <laughs> You're older. You're the elder. Why did you do that? You know? But so, you know, that was a time for Sarah. She could have been afraid with a little amazement. Or the two times that Abraham told Sarah, look, and I'm afraid, so you just tell everybody I'm your brother because they'll kill me because you're so beautiful, and, well, you'll be taken into those heathen harems, but, you know, something will happen good. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure about the end of that story. But that was a time for Sarah to be afraid with some amazement. Or probably the crowning one, and you turn to this one, Genesis 22, the time when Abraham decided to take their boy Isaac on a six-day trip. And it says... In Genesis 22, 1 through 3, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. This is not take Isaac. This is take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Abraham said, I've heard that before. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took the two of his young men with him, and Isaac, not just Isaac, but Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. So get the picture? Abraham is there chopping the wood. And can you picture it? He's chopping the wood. He said, God has called me to burn my son up, and I'm chopping the wood that's going to burn him up. And he rose up, and he went into the place of which God had told him, Then on the third day, three days he's got to mull over this stuff of what God told him. They're walking. It's day one. He hasn't told anybody. It's just in his mind. He's chopped the wood for the burnt offering. Day two, third day, Abraham lifts up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. And then he said, And I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we will come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He didn't even say, would you please cut this wood and get it ready. He cut the wood. He took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Son, carry this wood. What for? Just carry the wood. And took the fire in his hand. One hand, he has the fire to burn his son. And the other hand, he has a knife to kill his son. And it says, and they went both of them together. That's what the scripture says. In verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham, not just to Abraham, but Abraham, his father. Abraham, who he loved and trusted, his father. Abraham, who would never hide anything from his son. And said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. So you can see, 
Abraham is not trying to start to distance himself. Look, he's going to die. I got to, for my own emotional being, I got to separate myself. I got to push myself off from him. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. No, no, it's still my father, my son. And he said, behold, the fire, it's in your hand. Yeah. And the wood, he's carrying the wood. He didn't mention the knife. And he said, where's the lamb? There's something missing here. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham doesn't know what to say. So Abraham just doesn't know. But he says, my son, God. And that's all he had to say. He just said the answer. He said, God, God. He said, he will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And then it says, so they went both of them together. They went both of them, echad, just like the Shema. They went both of them like this. Because they were united in God. Whatever's going on, God was in the middle of it, and God was going to take care of everything. And so they were satisfied. They came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar. Abraham built the altar, can you imagine? And he's sitting there, he's building the altar, and he said, this is the altar that I'm going to offer my son on. But he's building it. And he lays the wood in order. And then he binds Isaac, his son. Not just Isaac, but Isaac, his son. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Oh, man, huge drama. Such emotional drain. Something you don't easily forget, right? And as Abraham, you don't forget that moment when you were holding your knife over your son. And as Isaac, laying down there on the altar, you don't forget seeing your father hold the knife over you either. This is mega drama. And I wonder what they talked about for the three days when they walked back. You think they just sat there silent? (laughs) I don't think so. I think they were talking, and they were telling the servants what happened. And, you know, can't you imagine, Dad, when did God tell you to sacrifice me? I just, you know, just was kind of wondering about that. And Abraham said, just the night before we left, and Isaac kind of thinking, huh? Dad, Dad, um, you didn't decide to wait or take time to think it over or a little bit. Or we just left right away, right after God told you. And he goes, no, son, I didn't. We just left. And Isaac, he looks up in Abraham, looks right in his eyes, and he says, Dad, I just got to know, would you, I mean, would you really have plunged that knife into me? And Abraham looks at him and says, yes, son, I would have. I was going to. But Dad, how could you do that? Don't you love me, Dad? And Abraham says, oh, yes, son, I love you. God gave you to me. God told me that you were going to grow up and have children. That's why I told those men we were going to come back together off that mountain. It's nothing for God to raise you from the dead. I know what God's going to do. As he says, so dad, that ram, he was like killed instead of me. And Abraham says, that's right, son. Somehow, somehow, and I don't got it all, but somehow God's going to do that for us. He's going to, there's going to be this perfect sacrifice that's going to come instead of us. It's going to save us. In three days, they're walking home and they're talking and they're talking. Picture that scene between Abraham and Isaac, and then they finally get home. And Isaac, Mom, we're home! Right? And Sarah says, Oh, sweetie, I'm so glad to see you. I missed you. Now tell me about all about your trip. <laughs> and Isaac, you know, Oh, it was great, Mom. Oh, Dad, he brought the wood and the fire and the knife and no lamb. 
And we got there, and he tied me up, put me on the altar, and raised his hand over me with a big knife. And about that time, Sarah would have passed out. <laughs> she would have passed out. And Isaac said, Dad, quick, bring the smelling salts. It's Mom. <laughs> that was a chance for Sarah to be a little afraid with amazement, right? But she stuck with her man. And she stuck with her position of calling him Lord. And she submitted to him. Not because she trusted Abraham. She trusted the God of Abraham. And that was Esther. She was the daughter, so to speak, of Sarah. Because she trusted in God. And so when we come now to chapter 2, it's looking good. Esther's been exalted to this great position of queen in Persia. But now, chapter 3, everything's going bad. And what happens when things go really bad, I mean so bad, that the enemy of the Jewish people gets exalted to a place, they get the king, they get an edict put against them that cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, that all the Jews have got to be caused to perish, and they do it on the very month that should be their celebration month of deliverance from Egypt, Passover month, just to mock them in their face, say, oh, where's your God now? And they said, and you just get to live with this for 12 months as all your enemies sharpen their knives and decide, like watching your clothes get parted or your vesture be gambled on, they're just planning who's going to take what because the day is coming and it can't be changed. And you see this and you're saying, we are set for extermination. There's no way out of this. I don't know what we're going to do. My friend, Rabbi Josh Cantor, he's the same name as my son, is a rabbi of a Reformed synagogue back east, he told me he's a chaplain for a couple of uh, hospitals. And I asked him, I said, uh, Josh, it's easy for me, it's my son's name. I said, Josh, uh, what's the most frequently asked question? What's the FAQ? The most frequently asked question that you as a Jewish rabbi from a synagogue get asked as a chaplain in the hospital. And he said, that's easy. He said, what Jewish patients in hospitals, particularly on the cancer ward or in hospital floor, hospice floor, they ask me the most, they, they, they pull me and they say, Rabbi, they say, please tell me what's going to happen to me after I die. That's the question. What's going to happen to me after I die? What's the way out of this problem? I can't see the way out. If I try to deny it, it only gets more terrifying. What's the way out of this problem? An edict has been put against to destroy all the Jews. It can't be changed. I don't see how it's going to come out. Rabbi, I see my death approaching here on this hospital bed. I'm afraid. Can you help me? I just feel so lost. I'm not a Christian. You're the Jewish rabbi. Tell me what the Jews have. How can I be safe? How can I be secure as I see my death approaching? Rabbi, what is my way as a Jew to safety? You said that's the question. What's the way to safety? The irrevocable edict sealed with the king to be the ring of the king, to be destroyed, preparing, planning, everything going wrong quickly, and the day is approaching, and they have no idea what's the way. What's the way out of this problem? What's the way to safety and security? I can't see it. I'm afraid. Don, where are you? Don, come up here for a second. Will you please, Don? i got an illustration to do. Don't be afraid, Don. <laughs> Don't be afraid with any amazement. <laughs> Okay, let's say I got bad eyesight. I actually do have bad eyesight, so turn around. And Don's got perfect eyesight. I went to the eye doctor. The eye doctor says to me, do you have any other glasses? I said, no, this is it. And he says, you know, you're just about legally blind with your glasses. I said, okay, what else is new? 
Anyway, so here I am. I'm walking along. I, I said, okay, go and walk a little bit, Don. So I'm walking like this because I don't see very well, but Don knows where he's going. And all of a sudden, I'll stop for a second. And I just said, just go over here. And I feel like lost. I'm going, where's Don? Where's Don? Oh, here's Don. Okay, good. So now I go back. Okay. All right, thanks, Don. Sit down now. That's the illustration. <laughs> all right. So there was a very, very troubling time in the life of the disciples. Turn to it. John 14. The Lord is teaching them, and he says in John 14, 1, he said, subject your troubled heart. And I don't want your heart to be troubled, he says in John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, and that's pretty nebulous. Believe in me, and that's very specific. He says, in my Father's house that you can't see, there's many mansions. Oh, he could describe the mansions that are there. Beautiful mansions. They're my father's house. I know you can't see it. But he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He says, you know. <laughs> As a consummate Jewish mother. I didn't know that. I'm telling you. <laughs> he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. You're going? You're going? Everybody's against you. They want to kill you. They don't think much of us. And you're going? I go. Prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. Don't worry. Receive you unto myself. There where I am, there you may be also. And then he says in verse 4, which is the big setup. And whither I go, where I go, and the way, you already know that. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. And they're sitting there, and Thomas, of course, he says, Lord, get real. We don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. (laughs) That's what he's saying, you know. And then the Lord said, and that's exactly what he wanted to have happen. Because he wanted to say to him, I'm the way. Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And picture that scene, you know. Just picture that scene there. I mean, what a scene that was. I mean, I I am the way. And he says, you know, in the early 1900s, Fred Olford, he took his wife. They left England. They went to Portuguese West Africa. It's now called Angola. And they went there to open up the country for the gospel. They went there to bring the Africans life. Life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Fred, he learned the Chokwa language so he could communicate with the people. And Fred would just travel from village to village. And one day, he came to a village and the chief came out to meet him and the chief had this Portuguese flag draped over him. And Fred told him that he had an important message for his people. So the chief orders the drums to be beaten. The village gathers together for the meeting. And Fred told them God's love for them. And how God had sent him to them. And and how God became a man and died for their sins to save them and give them life. And there was a great reception in this village. Great reception that day. It was really a great day. And at the end of the meeting, when it was all over, Fred said to the chief, Chief, uh... Is it possible that, uh, that I might be able to have a reception like this in another village? Are there other villages like yours where I could have a good reception like this? And the chief says, oh, yes, white man. There's a bigger village than mine. This is not very far. It's just in that direction. He says, why don't you go there and tell them this message? And Fred says, oh, yeah, I will. But, but tell me, can you show me the way? And the chief says, oh, I can show you the way, but I know a better person. Who can show you the way? So the chief, you know, he gets up there and he claps his hands. And out comes this great big African man 
with muscles that looked like big vines on his chest, you know, and a big thick neck and an axe slung over his neck. And the big man comes up, he bows to the chief and says, what can I do? And the chief says, take my friend, the white man, to this village. And the big African says to Fred, white man, follow me. So into this thick jungle they plunge, and the light's beginning to grow dimmer and dimmer in this jungle because of the denseness of the jungle. And Fred says to the African, now wait, wait, wait a minute. What time will we arrive in the village? And so the African thinks for a minute, and he says to Fred, when the sun's there. So Fred gets out his chronometer and figures in his watch and figures out what time they're supposed to get there. And off they went into the jungle. And they're going through this winding trail and there's hissing snakes and fallen trees and moss-covered stones and little streams. And the African is traveling at a really fast clip. And Fred is staying just right behind him. And it just seemed to Fred that they were just going back and forth. It just didn't seem they were getting anywhere. So Fred was getting exhausted. So Fred said to the African, stop. And so Fred looked at his watch and says, you know, we've been going for a long time now, and it doesn't seem like we're making any progress. Tell me, do you really know the way? Do you really know the way? Looks him right in the eye, says that. Well, the African, a smile comes over his face, and uh, he looks at Fred, takes the big axe off, and uh, points to the blade. He says uh, to Fred, do you see this blade? And Fred's eyes are like this big, you know. He says, oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. He said, uh, he said, white man, with this axe, I came through this jungle. I cut this trail. He says, uh, you look at that mark on that tree over there. This axe cut it. I made that mark on that tree over there. And then this one over here. And he starts pointing out different marks on the trees around him. And he's pointing. He says, I did that with the axe. And then he points to some scars on his arms. And he says, white man, you see these marks on my arms? Fred said, oh, yes, I do. The African said, I got these marks as I cut my way through this jungle to make this way. And pointing to some scars on his chest and to stub toes, he said, look, white man, do you see these marks on my chest and my toes? These are wounds that I suffered when I made my way alone through this dark jungle. And then that big African man stood upright and looking right in Fred's eyes, he tapped his chest. He says, white man, I am the way. Follow me. And uh, Fred followed, and they reached their village. And you know, right now, in this chapel, there stands this morning a person we can't see with physical eyes, but we can see him with the eyes of faith. And that person's the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like that African, he stands here now, and when we open our eyes to him, He looks into our fearfulness, and he looks into our lostness, and he looks into our insecurity. And just like that African, he points to wounds in his hands, and he says, do you see these wounds in my hands? And he points to wounds in his feet. And on his side, he says, do you see these wounds in my feet and on my side? And he points to his head, do you see these wounds in my head? He says, these are all wounds that I suffered for you when I penetrated the dark jungle of sin to make a way back to the Father for you. I blazed the trail. And then he stands upright, taps his chest, and says in the words of John 14, 6, and throughout the Gospels, I am the way. Follow me. How about you this morning? Won't you put your hand in that hand that was nailed for you? 
Won't you do that? If you've never been saved before, won't you let this be the day when you say, this will start my new life in him. I'll put my faith and trust in him to forgive me of my sins. Won't you be like the prophet Jeremiah, who said in Jeremiah 3, 4, Thou art the guide of my youth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the way. And we confess to you, Lord, we don't know. We don't know how to get there. We're afraid. But when we follow you and are close behind you, our fear goes away because we know you are the way. Thank you, Lord, for being our way out of sin into heaven and into the Father's presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, sometimes we have callers that call into friendship with God and say that they become righteous by doing good works. What does the Bible clearly say about how we become righteous? You know, this is such an important issue, especially with our Jewish friends, on how does a person become righteous? You know, we see that in in the Bible, the, the very clear reference to becoming righteous in the very early stages in the life of Abraham. Abraham is so important. Abraham is our father. We want to become children of Abraham, meaning that we, not by birth, but by following Abraham's example. And something Abraham did made him righteous. And it's spoken of in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, and God had given him a promise. And the promise was that he was to look up to heaven and look at the stars, and he and God told Abraham, if you can number the stars, he said, then your seed is going to be like the number of the stars. Now, here was Abraham. He didn't have any children. He was a very old man. For all intents and purposes, it looked like he would never have any children. So this was God saying to Abraham, believe me, Abraham, when I tell you the impossible, that you're going to have a lot of children. And then it says in verse 6, this very simple statement, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Righteousness from God comes as we believe God. Abraham believed God, and he was righteous because he believed God, not for what he did. But for what he believed and who he believed, he believed the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed what God said. That's why we read the Bible. We read the Bible because God is because that's God's word. When we read the Bible, that's our opportunity to be righteous by believing, just believing what God did. As far as all the works go and the mitzvahs, the Lord Jesus Christ did all those works for us so that we can be righteous by his works. As far as all our sins go, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us so we could be righteous by paid debt. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, Tom Cantor has written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this book will show the scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy to the New Testament fulfillment. This amazing Bible study reveals how Jesus of Nazareth, 
was not only a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike, as proven and shown in prophecy. It's a must-have for any Christian, a great gift to give to a lost Jewish person that you know at Christmas time. And it's also a great gift to give to an atheist or someone who's searching for the scriptures of really who the Messiah is, who God is. It's a great witnessing tool. You know, there's approximately 2,500 prophecies that appear in the pages of the Bible. And 2,000 of those show they've been fulfilled with no errors. So prophecy is very important. And there's about 500 future prophecies that are remaining. And there's about 300 that pertain to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that were fulfilled to a T. And we've taken 194 of those to show that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is God come to save us as lost sinners. And really, prophecies were written at different times by different men, and they were preserved in Scripture for us today and show that the odds of these prophecies being someone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the chance without error is less than really more zeros that would probably circle the earth. It's a statistical improbability that it's anyone else, and this is a wonderful book written by Tom Cantor showing the prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ as shown in the Bible and Scripture. And we want you to have this book. It's yours today for a donation of $20 or more. Again, it's a great gift at Christmas time, and it shows that God became a man, born of a virgin, was prophesied to be of the seed of Abraham and David, born in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, and that he would die for the sins of the world. It's a great book, The Prophecy Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. A donation of $20 or more today we will get you that book. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. And your donation and support today will help us to keep this Friendship with God Bible teaching program on the air on this station in your city. It will also help the gospel going out to Jews and Gentiles. Call us today for your donation of $20 or more. It will help support all of that. 1-800-247-3051. We'll send you the book, Prophecy Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1-800-247-3051. 3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.